0: Dear friends, I'm sure you have been following with alarm as I have been the events transpiring in Ukraine right now. Rather than preempt the episode that I had planned, I'm simply going to introduce it with a performance of The Field of the Dead, the sixth movement of Prokofiev's Alexander Nevsky Cantata, in which a young woman searches the battlefield of dying and dead soldiers looking for her lover and kissing the eyelids of those who have been killed. This is the extraordinary African-American mezzo-soprano Betty Allen with the Philadelphia Orchestra led by Eugene Ormandy. type that prays, by all means, please, for goodness' sake, do so. And now, though it seems a bit anomalous, here's today's episode. Welcome to Counter Melody, the podcast on great singers and great singing. As always, I am your host, Daniel Gundlach. No preaching here, no lecturing, well, maybe just a tiny bit of each, but the primary spotlight will always be on the singers that enrich and enhance our lives, no matter what is going on in the world around us. Thanks for joining me. This week's episode. Hi everyone. I had one final Black History Month episode planned, but it ended up expanding to gargantuan proportions, and therefore I am breaking it up into two different parts, and what you're hearing today is part one of an episode that I veered between calling Never Forget and legacy. So today's episode is called Never Forget. Next week, we'll get legacy. To start things off, what about a performance of, once again, as I seem to often do here, the prologue from Pagliacci? The text to the Pagliacci prologue is particularly relevant to today's episode because it talks about the power of memory to evoke and to preserve. And that is my intention today. It's always my intention, in fact, to bring to mind artists that we treasure and artists with whom we are less familiar. I'm beginning with the section Un Nido di Memorie, a Nest of Memories. It's performed here by the extraordinary African American baritone Eugene Holmes, who for many years was resident at the Deutsche Oper am Rhein in Düsseldorf. And in fact, it's from that venue that this, that this live performance from the summer of 1977 stems. I was so happy that so many of you enjoyed the Brock Peters episode. As I was preparing it, I spent some time exploring the legacy of Leonard DePoor, who led the Leonard DePore Infantry Chorus, which later changed its name to the Leonard DePore Chorus. I am simply blown away by the degree of talent exhibited by the collective members of this chorus. Many of the singers were operatic soloists in their own right, and not only that, but they sang with their full voices, and the combined forces yield a sound of such power that is also capable of of such tenderness. Leonard Dupour's chorus and the Robert Shaw chorale are, from me, the ideals of what choral singing should sound like. Now what we hear, of course, is people with the vibrato all drained out of their sounds, thinking that they're going to achieve some kind of uniformity of tone by doing that. But what is lost in the process? Okay, end of sermon. Sorry. I'm particularly interested in the recorded legacy of the tenor Charles Holland, so I was thrilled to find this example, a 1952 recording with Charles Holland, and the Leonard de Porre chorus in the Argentinian folk song, Vidalita. This recording's from 1952. Another tenor who was a member of the DePore Chorus consistently for quite a long period of time was Luther Saxon. I featured Luther Saxon in one of my early episodes of the podcast, singing Sweet Little Jesus Boy with the DePore Chorus. But Luther Saxon has a place in history, and that is that he created the role of Joe in Carmen Jones on Broadway opposite Muriel Smith, who is, as some of you know, one of my major passions. Here's Luther Saxon, again as a soloist with the DePore chorus, singing a song that, again, as some of you know, is very, very dear to my heart, Danny Boy.
1: But when he come, and all if I am dead, as dead I well may be, you come and find the place where I am lying.
0: arrangements are very traditional, if you will. But there are many different ways of performing spirituals, and in fact we're going to examine a good number of those today, going all the way back to the early days of the gramophone, as well as to this more contemporary-sounding arrangement. This was from a show that Jesse Norman did directed by Robert Wilson, that featured unusual and extraordinary arrangements of spirituals. It was called Great Day in the Morning, and on my memorial tribute to Jesse Norman back in the very early days of the podcast, I presented several cuts from this never-reissued LP that is one of the most obscure in Jesse Norman's recorded output. I'm going to play a wonderful mashup of two spirituals, Walk About Elders and Ride on King Jesus. One of the reasons that I'm offering it for you is not just to experience one of the rarer recordings of Jesse Normans, but also to hear another soprano who is featured here, named Laverne Williams, who had a very distinguished career herself and was a featured soloist in this Great Day in the Morning program. In fact, you can hear how similar her timbre is to Jessie Norman's. And finally, when the Ride on King Jesus refrain comes in, that's when we hear Jessie. But the voice we hear before that is Laverne Williams, and it's a wonderful voice, and she has terrific communicative powers as well. we're going to turn to the very early days of the gramophone. There was an invaluable reissue just three years ago on the Parnassus Records label. It was entitled Black Swans, and it was an homage to the Black Swan Recording Company, which was the earliest African-American-owned record company that produced recordings using Black artists' and intended in large part for black audiences. But there were a number of other early labels as well that are represented on this recording, and there are some familiar names in, again, not such familiar guises. For instance, Harry T. Burley, whose name is so much associated now with arrangements of spirituals. He also was... A very distinguished concert singer and left only one official recording made in the fall of 1919. This is his arrangement of Go Down Moses. And according to the liner notes on this recording, it is most likely that he is, in fact, accompanying himself. I generally don't like to play recordings of the exact same piece, but sometimes one has to make exceptions, and I'm doing that right here, because I want you also to hear the baritone John C. Payne, who toured the US and eventually England as well as a member of various vocal quartets specializing in the performance of spirituals. In the early 1920s, he settled in London and became a mentor and host and source of encouragement and support for such artists as Paul Robeson, Alberta Hunter, Ethel Waters, Lawrence Brown, and Marian Anderson. Here he is performing in a 1935 recording, Go Down Moses. By this point, John Payne was already in his early 60s. When
2: Israel was in Egypt's land, let my people go. Oppressed so hard they could not
0: Another figure, who today is best known as a composer and arranger of spirituals, is Edward Boatner, who lived from 1898 to 1981. He made only a handful of recordings, and those also in 1919, for the Broom Special label. Edward Boatner was also a choral conductor and a teacher, among his students were numbered Josephine Baker and George Shirley. So you can imagine how interested I was to hear him sing, since he was the teacher of two of my very favorite singers, two very different singers at that. Here's his heartfelt performance of Sometimes I Feel Like a Motherless Child. Sometimes
2: I feel like a mother-
0: Here one must observe how few of the black singers from this period ever made a record. Singers such as Cicariada Jones, Katharina Yarbrough, and many, many others simply never even approached a recording horn. So the singers that we do have, it's a double blessing to be able to hear them. While at the same time, of course, we acknowledge How many voices are lost to us forever?" This next singer is one I'm really thrilled to offer to you today, because I think it's quite clear that she was an exceptional talent. This is Florence Cole Talbert. Here's another singer who got her start in one of those choral groups that toured the nation singing spirituals. Florence Cole Talbert eventually traveled to Italy where she became, I believe, the very first black singer to sing a major role with an Italian opera company, that role being Aida. Although, a glance at her repertoire and listening to her voice, she appears to have been more of a lyric coloratura than a spinto or a dramatic. Here's her recording, also from 1919, of an arrangement by Clarence Cameron White, of Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen. Next is a little-known figure whose name was Hattie King Revis. She was not just a singer. She was, in fact, also an actor, an entrepreneur, a manager, and a songwriter. She also recorded for the Black Swan label, and I'm going to play for you an arrangement by our Nathaniel Dett, another figure who is finally getting his due as a composer of classical music, this is his arrangement of the spiritual Make More Room. I didn't know this spiritual before, but I was very taken with the original song, the arrangement, and the performance of Hattie King Revis. The next singer, Evelyn Dove, was not American at all, but, in fact, British. She was the first black singer to appear on the BBC radio in the year 1939. Though she appears to have sung only popular quote-unquote music, her voice is, in fact, of nearly operatic quality. Sounds to me, for nearly 20 years, she was a big international star. And I find her recording of Couldn't Hear Nobody Pray to be quite unusual. It's almost like an incantation. See what you think, I've liked it very much. This recording is from the year 1936. Now we're going to turn to Porgy and Bess, but not in the way that you might think, for we're not going to hear any music from Porgy and Bess. Instead, we are going to hear singers who either created roles in the original production of Porgy or who were featured in important revivals of the work. Since I'm sticking with spirituals for the time being, I'm going to leap ahead a little bit to the year... 1952, the Porgy and Bess tour that made international stars out of Leontine Price and William Warfield and was sponsored, of course, by the U.S. State Department, was also known as the Everyman Opera Company. While the Everyman Opera Company was touring throughout Europe, there were occasions on which they cut records, and there's a very interesting album of spirituals that was made by Supraphon Records in Czechoslovakia, featuring the Everyman Opera Company. I was so surprised and delighted to find that one of the featured soloists on one of the cuts, Every Time I Feel the Spirit, is none other than Eloise Uggams, who was the aunt of Leslie Uggams, the one that I mentioned a few weeks ago, who strongly encouraged and supported her niece in her early performing career. Here we get a chance to hear Eloise in a standout solo, and you also get to hear the extraordinary voices accompanying her in this a cappella arrangement that is conducted by Joseph Crawford.
3: Every time I feel the spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. Jesus Christ, the Son of David, Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, Jesus Christ, the King of Heaven, heal me, Jesus, when I call. Every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. Moving in my heart I will pray When you hear me Praying Jesus When you see me On my knees When you hear me Calling Jesus Hear me Jesus If you please Every time I hear the Spirit Moving in my heart I will pray Every time I hear in my heart.
0: One of the porgies on that tour who alternated with both William Warfield and Leslie Scott, whom I featured on an earlier episode of the podcast, was Laverne Hutcherson. Interestingly, this baritone was plugged into the film version of Carmen Jones, dubbing the voice of Harry Belafonte. And in that role, he sounds like a very light tenor. But here, we get to hear what Laverne Hutcherson really sounded like, and it was pretty damn impressive. This is an arrangement of Deep River, in which Hutcherson is accompanied by Lorenzo Fuller, who was the conductor on that Porgy tour. versatile artist whose name is today probably most associated with Porgy and Bess is the mezzo-soprano Inez Matthews, who appeared as Serena in the original nearly complete recording of the work in 1951 that was produced by Goddard Lieberson and starred Lawrence Winters and Camilla Williams. Inez Matthews also created roles in Virgil Thompson and Gertrude Stein's Four Saints in Three Acts, as well as Courtfile and Maxwell Anderson's Lost in the Stars. Her dubbed voice is featured, again, as Serena in the 1959 film version of Porgy and Bess, which I was discussing in the Brock Peters episode earlier this week. She made a magnificent album of spirituals in 1953, accompanied by none other than Jonathan Bryce, the pianist brother of Carol Bryce. Here's their performance of a spiritual arranged by Roland Hayes. Another name of extreme importance. Here's Roundabout the Mountain. When
4: I was a sinner Seeking
3: just like you I went down in the valley I prayed till I come through You hypocrite, you concubine You place amongst the swine your lips and tongue but you leave
0: is Todd Duncan, who created the role of Porgy. He also starred in Lost in the Stars and had a distinguished concert career, followed by an important career as a voice teacher. In 1938, he appeared in a production of a play called The Sun Never Sets by Edgar Wallace, which was based on West African stories adapted by Pat Wallace and Guy Bolton. Cole Porter provided a handful of songs, including the one that we're about to hear right now, River God. This recording was made in
2: 1938. You watch over the jackal, you watch over the lion, you shepherd the leopard from sundown to dawn, and you keep all the gold from pride. When the big storm breaks, you shelter the snake and you quiet the chimpanzee. You smile all the while on the crocodile. So smile. On
0: Todd Duncan's co-star in the premiere of Porgy and Bess was Anne Wiggins Brown, who was the first African-American singer to attend the Juilliard School. While she was studying there, she discovered that George Gershwin was writing an opera, so she wrote to him. She got an audition. She got the part. In 1948, after touring Europe for a number of years, Anne Brown settled in Oslo, where she married an Olympic medalist, a skier. She made a small number of recordings of art songs in the 1940s, of which I'm going to play one for you. I think this is probably from after she had already settled in Norway, since the composer is Otto Mortensen, and the pianist is Kjell Olsen. It's a setting of the Robert Frost poem, Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening. Incidentally, Anne Brown also studied with Lotte Lehmann as, of course, did Grace Bumbrey. woods,
3: I think I know
4: His house is in the village, though He will not see me stopping here To watch his goods fill up with snow My little horse must make it to stop without a farmhouse near Between the woods and frozen make The darkest evening of the year He gives his harness bells a shake To ask if there is some mistake The only other sounds The sweep of easy wind and down
3: I have promises to keep, and miles to go before I sleep, and miles to go before.
0: Ruby Elsie created the role of Serena in the original production of Porgy and Bess, and she would have been forgotten to history, save for the efforts of the scholar and author David E. Weaver, who wrote a biography of her in the early 2000s, as well as overseeing a release of a CD of very, very rare recorded material. From that release, we're going to hear Ruby Elsie in a very idiosyncratic performance of Pamina's aria, Ach Ich Fus, which she sings in Italian, Allo So. The voice is an extraordinary one, and I hope that you will not let her distinctive way with Mozart act as an impediment to your enjoyment. If you accept her on her own terms in this aria, she's really quite extraordinary. As I say, Ruby Elsie probably would have been forgotten to history, for she died at the age of 35 after having surgery to remove a non-malignant tumor. Now we're going to move up a couple generations to another singer who made a very strong impression in Porgy and Bess, this time in the Glyndebourne production, which was the first time that Porgy had been performed in the UK. This was back in 1986. One of the stars of that production, who later also appeared on John McGlynn's groundbreaking recording of Showboat, was the baritone Bruce Hubbard. I've mentioned Bruce Hubbard on the podcast before because he was the understudy of Gilbert Price in Timbuktu. I did a big, special episode on Gilbert Price a few months ago, and he's well worth looking into. He was an extraordinary and undervalued artist who also died quite young. This is also the case with Bruce Hubbard, who died in November 1991 of AIDS-related causes. The year before his death, however, EMI Records released a solo album with him, which features both classical and Broadway selections. I'm going to play for you the song Cena. From Leonard Bernstein and Alan J. Lerner's ill fated bicentennial production of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Bruce Hubbard appeared in a small role in that production opposite Gilbert Price, who originally sang this song, Sena.
1: Cena. And now I don't know her no more, I
3: knew her so
5: well.
0: Now, bouncing around again a little bit, we're going back to that Everyman Opera Company production of Porgy, which starred as one of its besses, Helen Thigpen, whom I've also featured a couple times on the podcast. In 1951, she made a recording of songs by the African-American composer Howard Swanson, of which I'm going to offer one for you right now. It's called The Valley set to a text by Edwin Markham. Helen Thigpen is accompanied here by David Allen. Another singer who appeared on that Porgy tour in various roles, including both Clara and Bess, if I'm not mistaken, was the extraordinary and extraordinarily versatile Martha Flowers. She appeared in a 1963 recording opposite the pianist Don Shirley. Yes, that one whose story was featured in Green Book, that film from a few years back. I didn't see the movie. It seemed like the sort of thing that would probably irritate me, so I stayed away from it. <laughs> Plus, I don't go to the movies very often. Anyway, I'm much more interested in Martha Flowers, who really, I think, is one of the great, undiscovered, and underrecorded artists of the second half of the 20th century. And I don't think I'm exaggerating. She sang mostly pop music. Oh my god, I just featured her on my previous episode. Remember? On that, uh... African Lady Number by Randy Weston, in which she appeared opposite Brock Peters. This recording is, as I said, with Don Shirley, and it's the song I Had Myself a True Love by Harold Arlen and Johnny Mercer from St. Louis Woman.
4: I had myself a true love, a true love who was something to see. The true love at least that's what I kept on telling me The first thing in the morning. a lot of things I don't know, but I do know this.
0: Another singer I have featured a few times on the podcast is the African-American bass, Kenneth Spencer. I think I've told the story about how when I was a kid, we had this record called Christmas in Germany. And there was this incredibly deep-voiced singer who sang White Christmas in German. Weiße Weihnacht. I discovered years later that it was none other than Kenneth Spencer, who had emigrated to Germany and was a big star here, appearing in films, on television, but very, very seldom in opera or classical music. Mostly, he was called upon to sing various plantation nostalgia types of music. And I think he fell into a bit of a rut. And then he was killed in a plane crash in 1964. Very young. At the age of only 50. I recently got an album of him singing classical music. And I have to say, it didn't give me a whole lot of pleasure. The voice was just not really working terribly well. But then, also last week, I just got this record of worker songs. Some of them originally in German, others American songs from the socialist movement in the 1930s, as far as I could tell, but translated into German. And here, I thought that Kenneth Spencer was absolutely in his element and was full of charm and filled me with nothing but delight. So I'm going to play a song that originally was dedicated to US workers and subsequently translated into German by a fellow named Horst Roos, and in this form it's known as Denk Einmal Daran, which means think about it. The point of the song is that one should give credit and support the workers who do all of the work of keeping things running smoothly what we now would be calling essential workers. Here's Kenneth Spencer in this 1964
5: reporting an den Postler, der da geht, wenn der Wind auch eisig weht, der die Botschaft bringt aus einer fernen Stadt. Ja, denk einmal daran, denk einmal daran, wer all die Arbeit hat getan. Sie sind tätig alle Zeit, steht zu deinem Dienst bereit, stehen aus Brüder unerkannt an deiner Seite. Wenn's im Winter eisig zieht und im Ofen Hitze glüht, dann denk mal, wer dir das bereitet hat. An den Bergmann, der im Loch, blickt die Kohle noch und noch. Sei mal ehrlich, tust du es an seiner Stadt? Well, denk einmal daran, denk einmal daran, wer all die Arbeit hat getan. Sie sind tätig alle Zeit, steht zu deinem Dienst bereit, stehen als Brüder unerkannt an deiner Seite. Viele kennst du sicher nicht, niemand sahst du ihr Gesicht, doch die Arbeit, die sie tun, ein jeder spürt. Sie sind fern und manchmal nah, Täglich merkst du, sie sind da, Merkst wie Gott die Menschen so zusammenführt. Ja, denk einmal daran, Denk einmal daran, Wer all die Arbeit hat getan. Sie sind tätig alle Zeit, Stehst zu deinem Dienst bereit, Stehen als Brüder unerkannt an deiner Seite.
0: Now, to wind up today's episode, I also want to consider an operatic part which has become increasingly associated with African American Sopranos. I'm talking, of course, of Aida, the enslaved Ethiopian princess. We all know Leontine, Martina, and in fact, both Shirley and Grace also appeared as Aida during their long careers. But I'm going to present to you two African-American Sopranos who I doubt that you've heard of before. One of them was based over here in Germany, and her name was Ella Lee, and she had a fest engagement at the Staatsoper here in Berlin. I do believe that eventually she did return to the United States, where she became a very distinguished teacher and well-beloved of her students. There are very few extant recordings of Ella Lee, but someone, bless their hearts, has published this extraordinary performance of hers of Ritorna Vincitor, the first act monologue of Aida. But I don't know anything about the performance other than that it's frickin' fantastic, I think. See if you agree. Next up in our Aida Sweepstakes is the wonderful soprano Teresa Green Coleman, who recently died at the age of 95. She may not be a name that you would know or remember, but she did make her mark in the late 50s and early 60s. And in fact, this recording that we're going to hear stems from a live performance at the Teatro Colón in Buenos Aires, in which she sang the title role of Aida. Opposite, James McCracken, Regina Resnick, and Aldo Protti. This performance is conducted by Fernando Previtali, and we're going to hear the O Terra Dio duet, which concludes the opera. Oh, this performance took place on the 14th of August, 1962. As we're winding down, I want to pay tribute to another great black Verdi soprano. She's become a good friend of mine and is also a fan of the podcast, Sarah Reese. She also had a very distinguished performing career, which included appearances at the Met and under the batons of conductors such as Andrew Davis, David Zinman, and Herbert von Karajan. I was delighted as I was preparing this episode to find a live recording of Sarah from the year 1984 appearing with the Detroit Symphony Orchestra under the baton of Isaiah Jackson. Everything she sings on that program is magnificent. But when I heard her performance of Leonora's fourth-act aria from Il Trovatore d'Amor sull'ali Lali Rosé, You know, I'm a big crier, but I burst into tears listening to this. It's such an extraordinary, extraordinary voice. So beautiful, with such flexibility, such range, such evenness. I was blown away. And I know that she's a fan of the podcast, so I hope that she hears this, and I hope that you all hear this as well. And doff your hats to the sublime Sarah Reese. Thank you so much for joining me today. I didn't even do my ad today, but if you do want to support the podcast, please go to patreon.com slash countermelody, where you too can make either a monthly or a yearly contribution to help keep this podcast going. I'm so happy that, as of today, I have broken the 20,000 download mark. I know it's just a number, but it means something to me. I owe such a debt of gratitude to you, my listeners, and also those who support me financially. Don't forget to join me next week when I have part two of this legacy episode. To close off the episode today, I'm going to take us back to where we were at the beginning, the Leonard DuPore chorus. The group disbanded in the late 50s, but then resumed operations in the 1960s when they went on Again, State Department-sponsored tours of the world. They made a number of recordings during that time. And who reappeared as a member of and soloist with the chorus but Luther Saxon, who we heard singing Danny Boy at the very beginning of the episode. This is from their 1964 release Songs of New Nations, primarily African ones. This is a traditional Nigerian lullaby associated with the Yoruba tribe, and Luther Saxon is the honey-voiced soloist. Dear friends, keep the song in your hearts, and also keep Ukraine in your hearts. I'm Daniel Kuntlach.